Welcome to the Beyond Ordinary Woman podcast. Every two weeks, we'll post a podcast version of one of our free training videos, but you can access them now at beyondordinarywomen.org. This episode or series includes downloadable information on our website, beyondordinarywomen.org. Go to resources on the main menu and click on podcast slash video extras. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Kay Daigle of Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, and this is the third video and will be podcast as well of a series that we are doing with Nika Spaulding, resident theologian of St. Jude Oak Cliff in the Dallas area and a friend of mine. Uh, and this, we, the first two dealt with defining justice. The second one dealt with justice in the Old Testament. And this video is going to be about justice in the New Testament. Yep. So Nika has a lot to say. I'm just going to turn it over to her to tell us about justice in the New Testament. I love it. You know, I think the most convincing thing that if someone were to say, gosh, is justice really that important to what it means to be a Christian, to what it means to live out what God would call us to, so much of what it means to be a Christian is the understanding that we, through the power of the spirit, are being conformed into greater Christ-likeness. So if you want to know what God would have of you, what God wants for you as a human being, first of all, he wants you to know that he deeply loves you. He wants you to know that he saved you. And then once you're saved, this act of being made more like Christ requires that we spend time in the gospels. What was Jesus like? What did Jesus value? Who did he spend his time with? How did he talk to people? And if you will study that, then it will give you such a clear picture of what God wants for us. And, and of course, I mean, no surprise, everybody watching it, you're on the third video. Justice is of course, such a big part of the ministry of Jesus. And so if somebody were to ask me, hey, which gospel would you send somebody to if you really want to focus on justice, Luke would be the one that I'd send them to. And the reason why is because it starts so strongly with here comes Jesus, right? You've got this beautiful creation or creation birth story of Jesus. He's born to this virgin mother, unbelievable fulfillment of scripture. And then Jesus grows up and he walks into the synagogue and Luke chapter four, you have Jesus open up the scroll and he reads from Isaiah and he says things like, the prisoners will be set free. The lame will walk. This is the year of Julie. He says all this language that has to do with justice issues and the and freedom for the oppressed and freedom for those who have been persecuted. And then he closes the scroll and he's like, you have seen this fulfilled in your, in your presence today. And it's an unbelievable inauguration of his ministry. And you go, of all the things that Jesus could have said, like, hey guys, I'm here. <laughs> like, I know you've been waiting for me. It's been a long time. Like, he could have said anything. And he starts by reading through Isaiah, which of course a book about the justice of God, a book about though the people of God have been unjust, God has remained just, and he will bring them back into the land where they can be prosperous after they deal with their punishment for being unjust or unjust. And so Jesus starts his ministry. And well, then what you see after that is you see Jesus interacting with people. You see him interacting with the lame and the blind and the poor and all of these people, the foreigner, the Gentile, all of these interactions. And you watch how Jesus deals with people and you go, oh, that's what God wants of us. So you see him deal with Gentiles who are Jews and Gentiles do not get along by the time Jesus comes on the scene. And you see Jesus welcome them in. You see Jesus deal with those who are considered a lower class. Those who are disabled were considered a lower class. And you see Jesus restore them to their full humanity. Like there's just an unbelievable amount of teaching in the Bible. And then you see Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. And this idea of the kingdom of God is 
we always talk about salvation as if it's just this individual transaction. Boom, the gavel strikes down. I'm justified. Jesus' righteousness is my righteousness. We're good. So that is what it means to be saved, but it's not all that it means to be saved. The question is, what are you saved for? What are you saved into, right? And the answer for that, if any good scholar of the Bible say you are saved into the kingdom of God, you go, well, what's the kingdom of God? You go, great. It's a people that God has saved that he has expectations for. He says, look, there's one king, that's King Jesus. You are saved into a kingdom, which is the people of God who have said yes to his gracious gift of salvation. And there's a kingdom ethic. There's a king, a kingdom, and a kingdom ethic. And what Jesus shows us is what it means to live as a part of people in this kingdom and to participate in that kingdom ethic. And so in the New Testament, you've got this new kingdom that's been unleashed, right? Here's King Jesus. He shows up. He's telling people what his kingdom's like. He shows them what his kingdom's like through his behavior, his activity, and all that. Then he does what any king should not do if they're trying to run a kingdom and he goes and dies. It's like, this is the worst start to a kingdom ever. You just showed up three years ago. You did a bunch of crazy things. You made a bunch of great people angry and then you die. And then of course he's vindicated by rising three days later and you go, oh, your kingdom is not of this world. Got it. So then all of a sudden Jesus leaves us and the Holy Spirit comes. And now we've got all these New Testament writings that tell us what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God, right? You got the letter to Ephesians, you know, to Ephesians that talks about it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works of no man can bless. You go, awesome. What's the result of being saved by grace? And Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 is, it's a multi-ethnic expression of the church that Jesus has knocked down the dividing wall of hostility. That's why racism has no place in the kingdom of God because one of the outworkings of that kingdom is a multi-ethnic expression. Another way that you see it is, is Paul's like, hey, treat each other honorably, treat each other well, don't harm each other, don't, don't do crazy and silly things, dear Corinthians, <laughs> like stop that craziness, right? And so you see these epistles that tell us what does it mean to be participants in this kingdom ethic? And if you just read through any of those letters, you learn like it's a beautiful and good self-donating thing to be a part of the kingdom of God. And then finally, you have the book of Revelation. And this is a term that I use all the time with my people at St. Hugo Cliff. And I say, eschatology determines ethics. In other words, where we're going, eschatology, this big fancy word for end times, that determines how we'll behave now. Because where we're going should show us what it is supposed to look like now. And when you look at the book of Revelation, where we're going is a place with no more tear, no more suffering, no more hunger, no more, none of this, right? You, and Kay, you mentioned earlier the Beatitudes, right? It's a place where the meek will inherit the earth. It's a place where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will finally see it fulfilled. And so I believe as the people of God that belong to a kingdom, we are to be now who we will be then. So if we're headed to a place where there's no more hunger, then we should work to eradicate hunger now. If we're working to a place that will have perfect righteousness and perfect justice, then we should pursue those things now. And that's what I think it's meant when Jesus teaches us to pray, our father who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever is going on in heaven that we're headed to, and Jesus, you can hurry up anytime you're ready. I'm ready to go. But wherever we're headed, that's what we're supposed to be now. We are to be the people now who know where we're going and we live in that direction going, if justice and righteousness and goodness and love and beauty is where we're headed, then we should live and work toward those things now as the people of God in his kingdom. And what a testimony that would be of what's ahead and why people should embrace God's kingdom. That's so right. 
you know, when we talk about evangelism, because I think this is one of the divides, right? You see people who go, gosh, evangelism is all about preaching the gospel. It's gospel, gospel, gospel. And I go, well, of course, of course we want to share the gospel. And you have others that go, no, it's all about justice, all about justice. The argument I'm trying to make is if, if evangelism is declaring the good news that there is a king, a kingdom, and a kingdom ethic, the kingdom has to be more beautiful than the kingdoms of this world. You know, like why would someone want to forsake and die to their own desires, right? The call of the Christian is to come and die and find that you may truly live. If the kingdom of God now looked like it's going to be then, if the, if the people of God said we are committed radically to beauty and goodness and love and grace and forgiveness and justice and righteousness, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? But if the kingdom of God looks just like Babylon, you know, if it looks just like the rest of the world, why would you come? And so I believe evangelism is both preaching grace and doing justice so that the kingdom is an absolutely beautiful, compelling place for, for outsiders to go, I want to be a part of that. Whatever Kay's got, I want that. And I think that that's, some, that's a high calling for Christians. And I think it's part of why God has said, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be different so that the outsider will go, okay, wait, that is different. And I want that. And I think it's a high calling and a privilege for Christians to be a part of that. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us, Nika. And um, if you missed either or, or both of the previous uh, videos or podcasts, please go back and listen to them because some of the things that she just said are based on what she said in the previous videos. Nika has put together for us a list of resources that you may be interested in reading or, or hearing, maybe some podcasts. I'm not sure what, what it'll be. What do you think it'll be, Nika? Maybe yeah, some podcasts? I think some podcasts. And I also did an eight-part teaching series if people really want to dive into this. Oh, um, well, so I can put that. that on there. I'm, okay. I, I'd love to. Okay. I'd love to have that. So uh, look for that on our website under resources. We have um, resources to download, and this will be a list of resources that you can then go to. So thank you, Nika. Thank you all for joining us. And we have many more videos uh, from Nika at beyondordinarywomen.org. So be sure and go there and um, just browse around and find her videos. Uh, and uh, we will be with her again soon, I hope. We love it. Thank you, Kay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. You can find more podcast episodes and resources for women in leadership by going to beyondordinarywomen.org. This podcast is produced by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministry. Our production team includes Evelyn Babcock, Kay Daigle, Deborah Herring, and Sharifa Stevens. Theme music Back in Stride by Don Miller, used courtesy of Christine Miller.